Dear Father, as we come before you today, we thank you for your word in the Gospel of John and we pray that uh, these deep words and profound words, uh, these great thoughts uh, may be our thoughts. We pray that you may help us to concentrate, to apply our minds, but most of all for your Holy Spirit to guide us and to teach us your word. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now when I was young, uh, I used to go to my with my family every year to Penang. Uh, and uh, when I went there, that was uh, in the 70s, and it was really undeveloped. We used to go to uh, Batu Feringi Beach, and I think at that time there was only one hotel there, and we had the whole beach to ourselves. Okay, so it was actually a time where the beach wasn't polluted, but uh, it's very polluted now. But when I used to go there, we used to also once in a while visit this, uh, if I can recall correctly, it's been such a long time now. We used to go to this place called the Snake Temple. Okay, I don't know whether it's still there because I haven't been to Penang for such a long time. But I remember when I was really young, we used to go to the Snake Temple and I really didn't like it very much because being very young, we had to climb all these stairs, right? With many, many, many stairs all the way to the top of the, the hill in Penang and, and to go to the Snake Temple. Now, if you sort of think about uh, the definition of God, uh, God by definition must be big. Uh, he's like, uh, he's you know, he's universal, he's all pervasive, he's not here on earth, he's in heaven. And when I look back, I sometimes wonder, why did I bother walking all those steps up to the snake temple up on Penang Hill? Because if God is in heaven and He's not here, then uh, is it because I'm trying to get closer to God and that's why I went to the top of the hill? Because, you know, like uh, God is a bit like my, uh, you know, the, the, my, my Wi-Fi or my phone transmission. So the closer I get to heaven, the more steps I take closer to, to heaven, then the, the better reception I get from God. Or was it because uh, I wanted uh, to, to really meet God and, and get closer to Him and that's why we went up to the top of the mountain? But the problem is that uh, if God is such a big and powerful God, then why is it just because I get closer to Him uh, as, in, in the physical sense that He would actually want to talk to me? Because obviously I can fly all the way to uh, Washington DC and I can stand outside the White House, but that doesn't necessarily mean that Barack Obama, the President of America, wants to talk to me, right? So what makes me think that just because I go up to the top of the hill, uh, you know, God wants to speak to me? And I think that these uh, questions are very uh, deep and meaningful questions in the sense of how do we actually get to meet God? How do we actually get to know God? Because God is such a powerful God, God is so big, why would He want to speak to us and how would we actually get to know Him? And these are the questions, I think, which are dealt with in the section that we read today. Now, I'd like to ask you to concentrate because uh, really these passages are very, very uh, dense and deep, but they're so meaningful. And if we actually apply our mind to it, it actually blows our mind what it's actually saying. Now, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Now, it says here right from the very beginning, it says right at the beginning of John, it says, in the beginning was the Word. And it ends there in verse 2 by saying, he was with God in the beginning. So what's the point of the, the, the phrases in the beginning? I think what he's really trying to say, God is trying to say to John, is that the Word, this entity called the Word, was, was pre-existent. Okay? Uh, even at the very, very start, the Word was there. You see, for you and I, we have a beginning point. You know, what is our birth date? We were born at a certain time, a certain place. But the Word 
does not share that quality. He, the word was always there, even at the very beginning, in the beginning. And I think that uh, what is trying to show here by emphasizing that in the beginning, in the beginning, is to show that the word has the qualities of God. And that's why it says there, in verse 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Right from the very first verse, it's telling us that the word was God and shares the qualities of God because the word was pre-existent. But the interesting thing in verse 1 again, which sort of is very hard for our mind to conceptualize and to understand, is that the word was with God. Now this would be a shock to, uh, I guess for ourselves as we're reading this for the very first time, it would be a shock to us if we were an ancient Jewish person reading this word. Because for the Jews, for many ancient religions, for even today if you look around for many religions, people conceptualize God as one. God is one. One entity, one person. But it says here that the, the word which was God and which was from the very beginning pre-existent was not God by itself exclusively, but was with God, was in relationship with God. Now, that's kind of a very strange concept, which is something which is not normal to us, right? It's like, there's God, but yes, but how come now there's two gods? And I know that in the ancient world, there are many ancient Christians who had trouble with this concept of, you know, a God in relationship with each other. So ancient Christians made uh, a mistake, which I remember reading in uh, church history, which they said that, oh, maybe there is only one God, but this one God takes on different forms. Like, you know, we wear different clothes every day, but we're the same person, right? Okay? So, you know, in the Old Testament, God shows himself as the Father. In the New Testament, God shows himself as the Son. And then after the New Testament, God shows himself as the Spirit. It's like one God putting on different outfits. But actually, that's not what the very first verse of the Gospel of John says. It says that God is actually in in relationship. There is the Word who is fully God, and there is God Himself, and they are in perfect relationship. Okay, now, if that's not enough for us to blow our mind, it goes on in verse 3, that through Him, through this Word, this pre-existing Word, all things were made, and without Him nothing was made that has been made. Uh, again, when we look at this, there is a negative clause and a positive clause. But they're all saying the same thing, right? That everything was made through this Word. There is nothing made that was not made through this Word. Everything was made through the Word. So that gives us a bit of an understanding who this Word is and what this Word is all about. Because what is this Word? Why is it called the Word, right? Is it like A, B, C, D, E, F, G? Is it like uh, some English or Greek or Hebrew or Chinese word? What word is the Bible talking about? Well, it's not a word, but it's the word, right? And if you think of the word in the beginning, it must be the word that God used as an agent of creation. right? Because what was the first book of the Old Testament in the Bible? What was the first words of the Old Testament? Well, we, we read it in the in the responsive reading. And it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. 
and God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And then God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So the word that the Gospel of John is talking about is not some random word. It is the word which is the agent of creation. So God actually used the word which actually creates the world. And that's what verse 3 is all about, isn't it? This word is the agent of creation because all things were made through this word. Nothing was made that has been made without this word. And that's why when you actually look back into from uh, the New Testament back into the Old Testament, you actually understand what God is about, who God is, what is the character of God. Because right from the very beginning, there was the Word, and there was God, and there was the Holy Spirit, and they were in relationship with one another. They were all God, but yet equally in a relationship, in one relationship. And that's why, if you look back again, next slide, so Genesis chapter 1, now we understand uh, why it kind of uses strange language in Genesis chapter 1 when it says, God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock and over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, I know that this is very early in the morning, and you know, maybe your mind is not working fast enough to catch up. You're still stuck in first gear, right? We're already in fifth or sixth or something. I don't know what, right? But, but you see, when you really understand God's word, right at the very beginning, in, in the first chapter, why does God use the word, let us make man in our image? Why does he use the plural, not the singular? Because right from the very beginning, God was not just one person, but it was three persons in one. It was God, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And here, in the first uh, verses of the Gospel of John actually clarifies that picture for us and shows us that the Word is not just what God spoke, but it was actually the Word Himself, which was God, which was the agent of creation. And that's why the image of God, as we see here, is not one person, but two, man and woman. Because since God is in relationship with Himself, the Word, God, and the Holy Spirit, so man and woman are in relationship with one another. Okay, I, I, do you understand what I'm saying? Now, I know that uh, some people are very confused with, about this point because they don't understand and, and read the Bible properly. So I said a few uh, months ago, I think last year, about how there's this, there's this cult in Singapore called the Church of God which goes around at MRT stations and at bus terminals asking you to do quizzes and everything. And they preach that God is actually God the Father and God the Mother. Right? And part of why they say that is because they say, well, we are made, man and woman are made in the image of God, so God must be man and woman. But you see, the problem that they make, they, the, the, the mistake that they make, sorry, is that they're going backwards from man and woman to look backwards to see what God is like. But that's the wrong way of doing it, isn't it? Because then we're saying that, well, God must have a nose. God must have, you know, I don't know, moustache or, or, or God has acne or something, right? But that's not the right way of doing it. We cannot use what we see as man and woman and translate it back to God. But rather we must do what 
the Gospel of John does and look from God to us. And what it actually means is that we are made in the image of God in the sense that we are made for relationship. Because the Word was with God. The Word was in relationship with God and so in the same way, man and woman are in relationship with one another. There is a relational aspect to us. So as we look at this, we see that this Word is, is something that is very powerful, is pre-existent, is God as well as with God and everything was made through this Word. Now, the Gospel of John here uh, doesn't stop in terms of the, 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 what it's trying to tell us about God and how to help us to know God. In verse 4, he goes on and says, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome, or if you put the, see the footnote, has not understood the light. Now here the light, uh, the word, sorry, uh, is described as life and light. Okay, the two L's, the life and the light. And if you look closely at uh, verse 4 and 5, again, it's a very deep picture, isn't it? It's saying that this word uh, was not just a creative force, but on top of being a creative force, it is a life force. So creation and life are two different things, right? So God created the world through the word, it made all these things, but the giving of life was actually something even more remarkable, something distinct and different from creation itself. Now what does it mean when it says the word was life, in him was life? Now it's not saying what we understand it to mean, like, oh, you know, in Andrew was life, right? Or someone else was life. It doesn't mean that the, the word was living. Okay, it doesn't say in, you know, in him was, he was alive. It, it, I think it's saying a lot more than that. It's saying that in, in, in the word was, was life itself, self-existing life. And because of the word, you and I are alive because the word is able to transmit and give life to us. But it goes on to say that this life was the light of all mankind. Now, what is the light? Light shines, right? Light uh, illuminates, light reveals. And I think that when you actually look at verse 4 and verse 5, it gives the picture that the life that this word gives actually gives a revelation to the world of God. Right? Because light is a, is, is a revealing thing. Light, light is a revelation. So the way I read it, and I might be wrong, you can come and speak to me later, is that the life that the Word gives actually is like a general revelation. Okay, Now this is a theological term. And a general revelation is where you can look at the world and you can see God. Okay, Specific revelation is where you read the Bible or someone says something specific and you can know God that way. But what I think this passage is saying is that the life that the Word gives actually reveals God as the light for all mankind. Now, I think creation itself is a marvelous thing, right? Uh, I just came back from my holiday in Borokay, and I remember taking this picture of the sunset there, and uh, as I was uh, I was on holiday, I was thinking, you know, it's really amazing because when you look at creation, it really testifies uh, to, to God. That, that, you know, you see all these great things, you see nature, and you think, well, God is really there. 
But I think that it's even more than just creation itself. You know, you can walk on the beach, you can look at the sunset, look at the, you know, all the nice sand and everything. But life itself reveals God even more. Right? Life is the light of men. It reveals God to mankind. So I was reading a book uh, by this doctor, and he was saying that, you know, when a baby is formed in a mother's womb, uh, which is formed first? Uh, do you know if the brain is formed first or the heart is formed first? So, you know, when the baby is formed in the mother's womb, right? Which one comes first when the, in, when, you know, it's all the stuff that's happening here? Is it the brain that's formed or, or the heart that's formed? Well, apparently, um, when, when you do all the scanning and everything, that the, the heart is actually formed before the brain in the baby. And what scientists cannot understand is, why is it without the brain being formed, the heart actually starts beating? Right? What, is the, what, what is it that tells the heart to start beating for the next 70, 80, 90 years? Right? What is the trigger? See, you can make a heart, right? I mean, if you had the power, you know, you could create the heart, all the valves and the veins and everything, but what is the trigger which starts the heart beating and giving you life for all those years? Well, it's, it's, according to this passage, it is, it is God, the Word, that gives life to everything, isn't it? It's like something that we can't understand. How, how does the heart trigger itself without even the brain being there? And in a sense, when you, when you see it this way, it's like, it's like seeing that life is actually a testimony that these things don't happen by chance or randomness or just, just happen. But actually, there is a God who creates the baby God, who creates the heart, and God's who kickstart the heart to give life to the baby. But if you look at this passage, it goes on to say that there is much, much more than just a general revelation of the light that, that comes to, to mankind through the life given by the Word. Because in verse 5 to verse 6 onwards, the, the idea changes from just a general revelation to a specific revelation. It says the light shines in the darkness but the darkness has not overcome it or, in the footnote, understood it. And it goes on to say that there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not light, not the light, but he came only as a witness to the light. Now, verse 5 here says something very uh, offensive to us. It's very offensive because it says that the light shines in the, the darkness. The darkness. And that's you and I. We are the darkness. Uh, and it's not because, you know, we are, we are dark, dark, you know, so you can't see anything, but dark as in a moral quality. We are dark because we are not naturally receptive to God. We are not naturally willing to accept God. We're not naturally open to God. So when we see the light of life, we are not naturally inclined to accept it. All the more, we are not naturally inclined to accept the life of the Word itself when it comes into this world. Now I remember reading this quote by uh, Jonathan Edwards, which I thought was quite profound. And he said, There is no one thing whatsoever more plain and manifest and more demonstrable than the being of God. It is manifest in ourselves, in our bodies, in our souls, 
in everything about us, wherever we turn our eye, whether to heaven or to earth, the air or the seas. But yet how prone is the heart of man to call this into question? So inclined is the heart of man to blindness and delusion that is prone to even atheism itself. So what it's really saying here is that we naturally are darkness. We do not want to recognize God. We do not want to accept God and receive God. And therefore, we are blind to to general revelation. We are blind to creation and life in itself. So God here sends the Word to come into our world. But before He does that, it says that He sends another person, a person called John, and we know him as John the Baptist, He comes and his job is to witness and to testify concerning that light. He came not because he was the light, but only a witness to the light. Now, if man could ignore creation, if man could ignore life and uh, the evidence of the world, then God sends someone to prepare the way for the word to come into the world. But the problem was, look at what it says there in verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming to the world. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Now, what it really means is that even with the preparation of John, the testimony and the witness of John, when Jesus came into the world, he was not recognized by the world. He was not accepted by the world. They did not receive him. So they did not understand the light and did not recognize the word that comes into the world. Now, it's even worse because it says there in verse uh, verse 11, He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Now, there are many ways of understanding verse 11, right? What is his own? His own could be his own world, not receive him. The whole world didn't receive him. But I, th- I tend to see it differently. Uh, you, you may again disagree with me. But I think that this is a very legitimate way of, of reading it. His own means his own people. The Jewish people, his own Jewish people, did not receive or recognize Jesus when he came into the world. Oh, I said the word Jesus. Okay. Uh, <laughs> It doesn't say Jesus yet. Jesus is coming later. But they did not recognize the word when he came into the world. Okay? Now, the reason why I say that his own uh, means the Jewish people and not just the world generally is because when you look at verse 14 to 18 and also as we go through the whole book of uh, the book of John, there are lots of Jewish ideas, a lot of Old Testament quotes and allusions which only Jews can understand. And therefore, When he says his own, I think it means his own people, the Jews. So if you look with me to verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now this is a very, very important word. When it says the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Because this word dwelling uh, is literally a translation of the old Hebrew word tabernacle. Okay, tabernacle was the tent of meeting where God came down on earth to meet his people here on earth. So what it actually says when the Jewish person reads it is, 
the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. See, this is really important because God didn't just dwell among us. He, he came in the person of the Word in order to meet people at, in the flesh, at our level, in our setting, in this world. God didn't send, like, you know, uh, a prophet. God didn't send a vision to somebody. God Himself sent the Word to tabernacle or to meet us in Himself in this world. And therefore, when we actually see this Word, it says that we actually see the glory of God and we see the grace of God. In fact, this Word here in verse 14, it says to be, we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Right, so when you see the Word coming in this world, you are meeting God. You are coming face to face with God. You actually know God in His completion, in His completeness. Now, I know that... Um, uh, in Australia, when I was studying there, one of the richest men at the time there was this guy called, uh, what's his name? He must be very famous because I forgot his name. What's his name? Okay. His name was Kerry Packer. Kerry Packer. So you can look him up on Google. He was the richest man, one of the richest men in, in Australia. And he owned the newspapers. He owned the TV stations. He owned the casinos. He was extraordinarily rich. And because he owned the newspapers and the TV stations and he was so rich, he was always like uh, very inaccessible to people. He never was interviewed. He never, you know, you could never get close to him. The only time uh, you ever got to see Kerry Packer was on, on TV was once because what happened was he was a very big man. He was a huge man. This guy Kerry Packer. Okay, he was also quite a, a fat man lah, but you wouldn't call it to his face because he was really big too, right? And he had a lot of heart problems. And uh, he had a heart surgeon called Victor Chang. Okay, you can also read out Victor Chang, also very interesting story. And what happened was, Victor Chang was was actually murdered in, a, in Sydney because of a hostage thing, right? It was like these two bungling people from Malaysia tried to kidnap him, but shot him instead and killed him. Anyway, so this guy, Kerry Packer, richest man in Australia, was very good friends with his heart surgeon, Victor Chang. And when he died, Victor Chang died, Kerry Packer agreed to be on TV, on his TV station, interviewed by the interviewer of his choice for half an hour, and he could, the interviewer could only ask him questions on Victor Chang. Right? Nothing about himself. And that's the way that uh, very powerful people meet the rest of us, right? They meet us on their terms. Right? So for Kerry Packer, he was only willing to meet the people for half an hour, on his TV station, only talking about one thing. But God, the Word, the Creator, Life Giver of everything, came down to the world to meet us at our level, not just for half an hour, not just through one TV station, but to meet us as He really was, full of glory, grace and truth, face to face. That's what the Word did. As we go on, we actually find out a bit more about this word. So John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me for he was before me. So again, 
John recognizes that uh, this word was pre-existent, right? He was before John. Out of his fullness, we've all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in, in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Ah, so finally, we realize who is the Word. The Word is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is greater than anything that the Jews had ever received. They received the law. But the law was just a set of rules of how to live in the promised land. But in Jesus, they actually learned the grace and truth of God himself. They can actually see God face to face. In fact, it says there in verse 18, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has come on earth to make him known. See, even the great Moses, right? remember Moses was the greatest prophet who ever lived. You, you can see him in uh, the movie theaters now. But that's not really Moses. Lah. Okay, that's the Terminator. Okay, so if you look up here, right, you can see that Moses himself wanted to meet God face to face. Okay, wanted to meet God face to face. He said to God, show me your glory. And God says, look, I will, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I'll proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. Our compassion or who are compassion, but you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, There is a place near me where you can stand the rock. When my glory passes by, I'll put you on a cleft in the rock, like a little, you know, corner thing, and cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I'll remove my hand and you'll see my back, but my face must not be seen. See, even the greatest prophet and the Old Testament could not see God face to face. But in Jesus, the Word had come, and we can see God fully, His glory, His grace, and His truth. Now as we marvel at what God has done in Jesus, the Creator, the Life-Giver, the, the Light of the world, come into the world, then what should be our response? Well, the response is actually given to us in verse 12. You see, even though the world is full of darkness, even though the world does not want to recognize the light, doesn't want to see the light, even his own Jewish people do not receive him. Yet, in verse 12, to all who did receive him, right, to all the, 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 the minority who did receive Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. See, this is the choice that we have before us. We can choose to live in our darkness and the inclinations of our heart which rejects God and is skeptical of God and does not want God in our lives, or we can accept Jesus and know God through Him and actually be born of God and be children of God. See, if you, if you actually are willing, as you will see in the next few weeks as we look to the book of John, to consider the person of Jesus, you will actually see that He reveals God to you because He is truly God. The things that He does, on top of what He does in terms of giving life and creation and light, show us that He is truly God in every way, that He is pre-existent, that He is with God, that He knows God completely, and that through Jesus, 
If you believe Him, if you receive Him, then you'll be born of God. God is offering you this wonderful opportunity to know Him completely and fully. If only you would move out of the darkness into the light to receive that light. Now I know that uh, some of you do not yet believe and I ask that you just give Jesus a sincere and honest and neutral hearing. Because I believe if you do, then you will see that He is the light of the world and that you can come to know God through Him. Uh, you won't find Him by walking up to Bukatima Hill. You won't find Him in some other way, but you will know Him because God Himself has come on earth so that we may know Him. Now, I think for many others of us here, we are really Christian, right? I presume that many of us here are Christian. I hope you are. But if we are Christian, when we look at John chapter 1, we ask ourselves, you know, what do we learn from John chapter 1? Then, you know, I'm really a Christian, I know all these things. Well, I think that it's really important for us because it gives us a deeper awareness of God. Uh, I, uh, I like watching NBA basketball. One of the players I like watching is this guy called Jeremy Lin, and he's a Christian as well. And I, I was watching one of the interviews that he gave uh, a few weeks ago. And one of the reporters said, you know, during the NBA season, how do you, how do you stop from getting too high and getting too low? You know, when you win a game, you get really up. And when you lose, you know, you get very low. How do you stop from getting very high and low and high and low? And I like what uh, Jeremy Lin said. He said, well, the way I do it, is to have a greater awareness of God. He said, you know, as I have a greater awareness of God, it doesn't matter how my team plays, whether it wins or loses, because I'm aware of God, then I'm able to be thankful all the time. And I think that's a real truth, isn't it? Because as we see who Jesus is, that He is the Creator Word, that He's the life-giving Word, and that even though the world is in darkness and rejecting God, He is willing to come into our dark, dark world, morally dark world, in order to reveal God to us, and that we are now children of God, then how can we not be thankful? How can we not be so filled with wonder at what God has done for us? How can we not forget the problems and disappointments and troubles of life? Now, I always remember this song that we sang, um, I think it's one of the hymns that, that we sometimes sing, the older ones. And, uh, you know, um, actually, I, I don't really know this song by the title, I just remember the, the lyrics, right? But apparently it's called, Also Are You Weary and Troubled, right? So I'm not going to sing it, but, but you know, I'm sure you all remember the lyrics, right? You know, where it says, you know, turn your eyes upon Jesus, right? look full in His wonderful face, and the things of earth will go strangely dim and the light of His glory and grace. Uh, I think that's true, isn't it? Because, you know, if your soul is weary and troubled, and there's no light in the darkness you see, well, there is light for a look at the Savior, and a life more abundant and free. Right? So turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in His wonderful face, see Him as He really is. Right? That He's your Creator, the Life-Giver, He has come on earth, to bring light into your life, but more than that, to reveal God to you and to save you and to bring you into God's family. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, truly we know that 
John chapter 1 is like a deep, deep ocean. That uh, right now, even as we look at your verses, we, we, we often feel that we are just scratching below the surface. There is so much that you're saying here, which, which is so profound and deep that we need to reflect and really think about it and meditate on it uh, a long time. But even today, as we understand just superficially, perhaps, what you are saying here, uh, we pray that you may help us to turn uh, to your words and to, to be filled with thanksgiving and joy that you are our Creator God, that, you, that your Word, the Word is the Creator God, that it was pre-existent, that He was God in every way, that He was the life-giver and that He brings light to our world. Dear Father, help us to recognize the darkness in this world, a darkness where mankind is not naturally inclined towards you, towards doing what you want them to do, to recognizing you or recognizing even your existence in this world. But dear Father, help us to be those who believe and receive Jesus and to see in Jesus your revelation to see what Moses could not see, to, to see all of you, your glory and grace and truth, and to truly be strengthened in our faith and to, to be not so distracted by the trivial things of this world. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.